Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, where this week, because we are behind and we didn't have a show last week, we are there's so much going on, we're just going right to Strat Mode 3. We're going to put down a Hammer Time show. I think I might be podcasting above my abilities now. Okay. This this may be outside my not safe cool, limits. Not cool, man. Not cool. Not cool. <laughs> this may be outside my safe limits of podcasting. I may not be able to increase lap times to the level that you want me to. I'll tell you about it at the end. Can I ask Don't questions? Don't ask questions. <laughs> Just I'll tell you about it at the end. <laughs> okay, I'm buckling in and holding on tight. Let's go for this. Don't ask questions. Just execute. So did you have a great weekend last weekend? I had an okay weekend. I mean, it was a three-day weekend, so that's always a good thing. Well, it was a three-day weekend with Monza. Well, yeah. Well, I had a really good weekend last weekend, and you know that I was out of town. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to use Lewis Hamilton's quote about his Monza weekend as a complete description of my weekend. Okay. It was a perfect weekend for me. Special. I'm not sure I've ever had such a weekend like it. I feel seriously strong now with the way I'm driving. I know that no matter what is thrown at me, we will fight through it. That's how awesome my weekend was. Alrighty. I I I don't know what to say to that. Other than, is that why he dyed his hair blonde? No, he dyed his hair blonde before he had his awesome weekend. And I really don't want to know what the explanation is, other than I kind of want him to dye it back. Yeah, not. It's not a good look. Not pretty. Did you hear that he went and he was singing in some R&B club in New York this past week? No, I was unaware of that. Yeah, Seriously, he's taken the superstar status to a new level. And yet Bernie, of the bad hair Bernies, has decided to continually diss him as being the superstar driver. No, actually, Bernie likes the fact that he's the superstar driver and that he does all and he lives this lifestyle because he's out there. He's engaging with the fans. He's bringing attention to the sport as opposed to somebody like Nico Rosberg or Sebastian Vettel who kind of fade into the shadows between races well there's you know there's that but he's getting all the attention for his quote music and his other things and he's not necessarily getting all the attention for being an f1 driver speaking of rossberg and fading into the shower shadows have we had any sort of update on vivian's baby yes they had a girl I had heard that was, not. That was one of the, it, it was a couple of days before the race. Uh, he had a baby girl. It was announced on Twitter, and that was the end of it. Lewis, in response, um, tweeted a picture of his latest tattoo. <laughs> hey. <laughs> they are they are totally buds. Yeah. <laughs> so, we have some, some key statistics, facts and statistics about the Monza Grand Prix. You know, we had some great ones from Spa, so we've got some... Good ones from Monza. The first Italian Grand Prix was in 1950. The circuit distance is 5.793 kilometers, and the race lap record of 1 minute 21.046 seconds was set by Rubens Barrichello in a Ferrari in 2004. Apparently, Rubens Barrichello owns that track, according to BBC. Um, However, Peter Gethin won the 1971 Italian Grand Prix by just 0.01 0.01 seconds from Ronnie Peterson. The closest finish this year by comparison was Nico Rosberg trailing Lewis Hamilton by 0.714 seconds in China. Wow. Um, Monza is a very busy industrial center, which includes the manufacture of felt hats. In 2008, Sebastian Vettel became the youngest F1 winner at 21 years, 74 days old. Wow. Now, do we get to measure how many hats they make based on Massa's weight? I don't have that. Ah. Anyway, um, most wins by a team is Ferrari with 18, which makes it's sense. It's their track. Um, most wins by driver is Michael Schumacher with six, Nelson Piquet with four, and six other drivers have won three times. Um, the circuit was built in 1922. It's the oldest circuit on the F1 calendar. And it's 6.8, or excuse me, the circuit is set in the grounds of the largest city park in Europe. At 6.88 square kilometers, it's more than twice the size of Central Park in New York. Wow. And our final key fact about Monza. 
in 2004 Monza banned goldfish bowls. Goldfish bowls? Yes. Like the glass ones that you put fish in? Yes, because they distort the view of reality for the animal. (laughs) Thank you, BBC. (laughs) I think Williams also posted that too. I don't think I have anything to say about that. <laughs> but don't you think that the fact that they live in water, their reality is a little bit distorted to I, begin with? I, I do not know what was going through the minds of the and council was, in Monza, but yes. And this was important legislation that needed to be made in comparison to other legislation that might have, you know, increased safety or budgetary constraints or anything like that. Hey, if spot- they had solved all of the other world's problems and now they were down to goldfish. Bowls. Hey, if Spa can have a museum of soap, Monza can ban goldfish bowls because they distort the animal's view of reality. <laughs> all righty. So in a goldfish bowlless world, we go to Monza a week later. And in a word, the entire weekend was Lewis Hamilton. It was. He, he dominated and he owned it. But, you know, going into this weekend, we had we knew this was going to be a bad race for, for McLaren. <laughs> we knew it. <laughs> and even though we knew it, uh-huh. because a- apparently Honda doesn't get the because it's only Honda that's doing this at this point. Honda doesn't get the message that at this point, to just shut up, Honda came forward this week, Mm -hmm. not McLaren, Honda came forward, well, in the week leading up to the race, and said that they believe that their engine is 25 horsepower ahead of Renault. Well, the problem is, as with all statistics, and the ability to lie with all statistics— they might be right. They 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 might be right. In yeah. those cars, there are actually two completely separate but integrated engines. Mm-hmm. So they could be up twenty five horsepower in one of them. It just doesn't have, happen to be the one that like matters. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is that they're down like about three hundred horsepower in the other engine, and it's the combination of the two that remember that word integrated that I used that's the key thing here what we learned from Alonzo well before you even get to Alonzo's comments okay let's talk about what we know from insiders regarding the power of this engine okay insiders say that Honda is at best 100 brake horsepower down on the Mercedes and at the hybrid element of that power unit which we were just talking about accounts for between 160 to 180 brake horsepower of the total engine, that's where you're going to get to it, and the weakness is there. Mm -hmm. However, there's weaknesses there, which means that the engine is estimated to be nearly 300 horsepower down on the the power output of the Mercedes engines. Okay. First and foremost, we are not going to continue to compare the Honda engine to the Mercedes engine. That is somewhat equivalent of comparing the engine that went into a Yugo to, oh, a Ferrari engine. Okay, how about we just say this? I really fear that they have misjudged the whole competitiveness of Formula One in its current guise. Thank you, Eddie. That is exactly (laughs) what we're going to go for. Alonso came out and said that they looked at the GPS of the turns on Monza. Now, Monza only has six corners. Mm -hmm. And so we knew it was going to be bad for McLaren because the straights are long and they're fast. And they only have six corners. In the corners, according to Alonso, they were only down like 0.3 seconds, 0.2 to 0.3 seconds over the other cars they are they were down two to three seconds in the straights yeah so here's the thing so alonzo's point and thus the bbc that outlined all of the technical specs and i am sparing you dear audience all of the details of how (laughs) the, the the engine works but 
what Alonzo's point was is that they aren't getting the power in the straights, but that they aren't that far down on the power in the corners. So let's let's pull that one apart for a second. First thing, the reason they aren't getting this power in the long straights is because of the way their hybrid engine is built. One, McLaren insisted on the engine being very small. Mm -hmm. And because of that, one of the parts that's a hybrid piece actually is integrating its compressor within the engine in a smaller space unlike the way the mercedes engine is put together it's the turbo it's the size of the turbo it's the it's yeah and you know something size matters it does in this case it really does so we have that problem what's happening is the hybrid engine the hybrid power can only last so long and not time wise necessarily but there's only so much it's because it's built on batteries you know it's got to have a, a regenerative piece mm -hmm. so what's happening is they can't build up enough energy to apply it for the full length of the straight so they start out the straight with the full amount of horsepower by the time they hit the end of the straight they're running entirely on combustion engine well, we already know that their combustion engine is about 300 horsepower down from everything else, hence the problem in the straights. Multiply this by the fact that they are still losing time in the corners. It's not like, remember uh, Red Bull, even in the days that they were winning the world championships, one of the things that with the aerodynamics that Adrian Newey had put in that car they could lose it in the straights. They'd make it up in the corners yep. every single time. And so that was the that was the trade-off that they had worked out. That's not what McLaren is facing. They're losing it in the corners and the straights. So all in all, the prob one of the biggest problems that they have right now is in order to actually fix the engine, what it would take to fix this engine is a fundamental redesign, including size, which has downstream car changes, um, engine housing, and how the power is output from the engine would all have to be changed. And are you ready? They are out of tokens. So they can't make the changes. But they needed to be out. They needed to be using those tokens as opposed to Renault, who hasn't used any tokens yet. And what's really scary is, and I'll move on to the, to, to the next big piece of discussion from this weekend, was Renault hasn't used any tokens. They put in, the, the, the Red Bull team still ended up with somewhere in the area of 100 and some odd combined positions of penalties. Ridiculous in its own right. After um, Ricardo needed to get engine number seven installed. Right. Now, the limit was supposed to be four. They're on number seven. Yep. And that's not even counting. Uh, see, I don't know where the Toro Rossos are. On their engine count? Yeah. Now, we know that Verstappen had to get a new engine um, and found out a little more about Verstappen's incident. Oh. Um, Verstappen, at the end of he just barely got out in Q1, and it was really just an installation lap to make sure the engine ran. Um, and got, I think, two corners in, and the engine cover completely let go. Right. What happened was the team gambled. The team apparently knew, and they may have even told him, that the engine cover was not completely fastened down. Oh. They knew, and they did it to get the car out. Mm. So they gambled. They knew it was going to come flying off, and it did. And I believe he got a penalty for that, too. Well, you know, at that point, he's got penalties on top of penalties. It's, and that's the reality with this whole penalty system is that, you know, if you can, if you have to take that twenty-five grid penalty for an engine, you might as well pile every other penalty that you can take. Change yeah. the gearbox, change this, change the paint colors for all you care. Well, you know, let that, the guy change his helmet. But but the, yeah. <laughs> The thing is, though, that was why the original system as devised for the penalties was, you know, once you get to the back of the grid, then we're going to start slapping you with time penalties. And everyone said, well, that's stupid. We're all confused by that. Instead, we have the you're getting 120 place grid penalty. Well, that's stupid. Well, you know, it's a no win scenario there. 
But well, you know, they could easily solve the it's stupid. I mean, it would hurt, but they should make them take all of their grid penalties in successive races. So think about it. You you that would encourage you to still push to qualify as fast as you can so that you can take as many grid penalties as you can in any given spot. So you'd start at the back for about two races before you could then actually utilize what you got. It's an interesting thought. It just becomes people complain that they have to go and and track that. And oh wait, we thought he he that that's the complaint that's one of the complaints that's being used. But anyway, moving beyond that, okay. So Red Bull goes out there, Ricardo sets a pretty decent time, makes it into Q2 and then doesn't set a time. Right. And unlike we have seen this season, Daniel Ricardo was in a pretty good mood. Yeah. He, he was in a really good mood. So Susie Perry caught up with him, and, and she had a conversation with him. So we found out why. Everyone's like, why is he smiling? You know, he's starting last. For the guys to get us out there was uh, amazing, uh, to say the least. Their, their quickest engine change they've done in the past, I think, was two hours, and that was already a new record this year. Yeah. And, uh, and today they've done an hour 40 minutes. So they, they completely killed it. Um, so thanks to them. Which is really impressive. But, of course, then the next question becomes, you know, if, if Ricardo's starting last, is the Honey Badger coming out? Honey Badger has to come out. He's starting last, so he definitely doesn't like being last. <laughs> <laughs> I love when Ricardo talks about himself as a Honey Badger. Yeah. It just makes me happy. <laughs> and especially the absolute mouthful of teeth grin that he's got while he's doing that yeah i mean seriously you can see molars <laughs> that boy has an absolute infectious smile all right so where do you want to go next now well i think that we have to talk about the race that is monza here let me sum it up for you the entire interesting parts of the race occurred at the end it well, except actually, there was a couple other little weirdnesses. Should, should also mention the big disappointment of this, the, uh, of this race. You know, we had Grosjean up on the podium in Spa. We had high hopes that Grosjean was going to do well. For the first time in his entire career, he made it into Q3. He's never done that before. Mm -hmm. Maldonado, by the way, has also never made it into Q3 at, at Monza and. He, he continued that streak. <laughs> However, you know, with that whole high hopes that they were both going to do well, they were both out in the first lap. Well, they were. There was some first lap instances for both of them. Um, some interesting things that did happen early in the race. And Lotus didn't make it around the track. Um, uh, Kimmy. Kimmy didn't make it off the line. Yeah. The boy stalled his car. Kim, Kimmy had a fantastic qualifier. You know, I, I, thought, bleh. I should also mention that whole qualifying and the strategy that Ferrari took with that. Okay. It's a very interesting strategy. It, Monza, because of its long straights, has the ability to, to draft off a car. In Formula 1, they call it the toe. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the, those final laps in Q3, there was a lot of that going on. A lot of folks were taking advantage of that. But what Ferrari chose to do, and Ferrari is notorious for their one-two driver strategy, and they have done this many, many years. Typically, it was Massa providing this service for Alonso so that he could get a faster lap. Ferrari made the decision, instead of putting Seb in the back and giving him the toe, Seb was up front and gave the toe to Kimmy. Mm -hmm. They did. And Kimmy was able to take advantage of it. Right. And Kimmy uh, qualified second. He was on the front row. And he couldn't turn it into actually getting off the line. In fact, Rosberg was directly behind him in the formation um, and had to take evasive action off the line because he had to get around the car that was stopped on the lap. Was it Rosberg or was it Botas? Because Rosberg. Rosberg should be lined up behind Lewis. Cause Ros oh, no, Rosberg was fourth. fourth. You're right. Because it right. was uh, Lewis, Kimi, Vettel, Rosberg, then Massa, then Botas? Yes, Something five like and six. Yeah. Um, all right, so then we had a little bit of interest happening between the Rosberg-Vettel 
battle for second, third. There was um, some interest happening at, you know, second, third, third, fourth. We didn't see much of Hamilton at all because the man dominated the entire race. And, and, you know, we should also point out Lewis had Mercedes went and used up all of their development tokens going into this. Mm-hmm. Put brand new engines in both both Lewis and Nico's car. They were running fantastic. However, there was a problem they found. I believe it was coolant in the oil in Nico's car. And out of caution, swapped him back onto an older engine that had already run six races. Correct. And as a result, Nico had a disadvantage, which was probably a good part of the reason why Nico drove, well, his race was so poor. Right. Or, or not his race. His qualifying was so poor. Um, should we talk a little follow-up, some sound from, from post-qualifying? Sure. Okay. This would be uh, Nico talking to uh, Lee McKenzie at the BBC. Yeah, Lewis said in the press conference he hopes that you can still pick up some good points for the team, but are you hoping for more than that? You know, Is a podium possible or not in the current situation with the engine? So he hopes that I pick up points for the team? Right. Um, <laughs> interesting. You would like a podium, is that possible? Uh, I hope he doesn't pick up too many points for the team. <laughs> and I'm saying that because constructors-wise we're really looking massively strong, you know, so we don't need to worry about that. And at the moment I'm, uh, I'm thinking about uh, uh, Drivers' Championship against him, you know, and, uh, and so I need to try and make up some points and, and hopefully uh, that will work tomorrow. Very unlikely at the moment, not looking good, the odds are against me. Um, but I'll try, of course. I'll try and uh, first, in first instance, I have to try and beat those Ferraris. Um, that's the first step, and then I'll try and go for Lewis. Now, by comparison, we have Lewis's comments to Susie Perry post qualifying. How did you feel about your lap? Oh, I love my lap. Uh, um, well, that's, 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 that's a complete lie. Um, <laughs> well, don't lie to us. <laughs> <laughs> because for some reason Lewis thought that that lap wasn't perfect which if he didn't think that lap was perfect everybody else on the track needs to be really scared well <laughs> I think that that's some of Lewis's strategy I mean when they redid the lap and he talked people through it he thought that he had, could have gained a little bit in the first sector yeah there was I one mean, blip and that was it yeah he, he thought he, he had a little bit but it wasn't perfect perfect um yeah I think that that particular clip is one of my favorites from Rossberg. It really shows a nice, good, sarcastic sense of humor in a guy. So, you know, <laughs> kudos to Rossberg. Um, so, unfortunately, Lewis did not get his wish. Rossberg did not pick up two points for the team because, as you had talked about, he has his older engine. It has had many miles on its engine, and they pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed to try to get him ahead of Vettel. And what was it? A lap before the end of the race? Two laps down. Two laps before the end of the race. His engine blew up. Flames shot out the back of it. Every orifice that that car had was puffing smoke. Yeah. There's a shot of it at the end of the race being dangling from a crane with smoke coming out of everything. <laughs> yeah. The marshals came running over, hosed Nico down and everything <laughs> on the car with the fire extinguishers. That was pretty exciting. Um, so from laps two to 51. It was a fairly dull, tame race. Um, I'd give it dull. Um, and not, I mean, it's still, it was good. There were some good passes occasionally in the mid pack. We got to talk about the honey badger for a minute. The the man went from the last one of the last places on the grid and pulled all the way up into the points. He did, and um, Kimmy and his. Which, by the way, Kimmy blames the the issue that that dropped him back on the clutch. Mm. That it was the the clutch had uh, didn't bite properly and didn't release properly, so it wasn't the settings weren't correct, and and that's what caused the car to go into what they call anti stall. Right. Because they don't completely shut down. But Kimmy, from all the way in the back, from that dreadful start, he put himself in fifth. Not bad. Which is pretty impressive in its own right. My dear my dear friend Masa. Mm-hmm. Oh, how I do like Masa. Because I find that he's just he's he's just a nice guy. He comes across as being such a nice guy. And he's got the most cute, adorable kid. Um, he put himself on the podium. He did, and he ended the race with this with this radio to the team. 
Yeah, guys. Oh my God, I'm too old for that. Too old. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Brilliant race. Rubbish. Not too old. We're just starting out, mate. I, I love the support that Williams is giving Massa. I mean, he's doing so, so well. Um, and, of course, he's got to be feeling pretty good about consistently beating his former Ferrari teammate. Well, there, there's that. But also, you know, he's a former Ferrari driver. He actually was very well loved by the Tifosi. So for him to be back on the podium in Monza, yeah, they were. he was loving it. They were happy to see him. Um, and then Vettel coming in in second. Yeah. Which, as much as we're going to jump ahead because we're talking about podiums briefly, let's compare Vettel and his reception on that podium this year to two years ago. When he was booed? When he was booed and won the race and booed on that podium. Yep. Now he's they, they love him. You put red on Ferrari red. That's all it takes, man. And all is forgiven in Ferrari red. Yeah. So, um, do you have the clip of Massa's son? Yes. That is, that was actually after Saturday. So it was after he qualified. Yes, this was after after qualifying, um, because Felipe likes to give interviews with his son. And you think that he shouldn't do that? Well, Felipe can be a little distracting. <laughs> we have this little clip. Okay. My son, he has a Ferrari on his hand. Oh, no, he does it. And it's not even me, it's Alonso, so... How did Daddy do today? Good. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Isn't he so cute? <laughs> you just kind of want to pick him up and put him in your pocket. Probably not that much bigger than, you know, smaller than Masa. You could put Masa in your pocket, too. <laughs> yeah, possibly. He's a, he's a wee little man. Well, most Formula One drivers are. Most race car, successful race car drivers are. But they're not like jockey wee. I mean, not like horse. I don't jockey. know. I've heard that Alan McNish is rather small. Well, okay, Susie Perry towers over him. Yes, but like Hulkenberg, Nico Hulkenberg, he's, yeah. he's six feet tall. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, they 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 can be tall. Jockeys can't be tall. They can be tall, but they are still that hyper lean. Right. They they can't carry extra pounds. So should we we talk about the controversy? Oh, my word. So the first indication that we got that something was up over at Mercedes, we saw BBC aired some video, what was it, around lap 49, lap 50, of all of a sudden this frantic conversation going on in the Mercedes pits. Yes. I don't know what was said, but next thing we know there was – a series of radio messages that came out. We'll walk through all of the radio messages. Okay, Lewis, we're going to go strap mode three. Strap mode three, we need to pull a gap. We need to pull a gap. Don't ask questions, just execute. Okay, Lewis, let's just grab some hammer time lap times. We just need some good lap times now. No need to ask questions. We just explain it at the end. Which is just odd. I mean... I don't even think it's as odd that they were asking for good lap times or got to open up a gap or anything. It was the minute they turned around and said, don't ask questions. Well, there was that. But whoa. Given how much time was left in the race Mm -hmm. and where they and and the gap that he had, he, he already had like 20 seconds. The question was, why be asked to push forward. And the only thing that anybody could think of at that point was that they were going to bring him in that there was a tire issue and, and needed to have him do another tire change because it's like an 18 or 20 second pit run if you, you do your tire change properly over at Mons and it's a fast track. But even still to turn around and go, don't ask questions, we'll tell you later, just go is really kind of odd. And, and especially if they were going to pull him in for a pit, you might not have said, don't ask questions. Yeah. So it, it went on. I've got a lot of pace in me. What do I need to do? I can't get much quicker. Yeah, what you're doing is great, Lewis. That's all we need. Just stabilize on pace, and that is great. So there's no need to take any risk. Just keep doing what you're doing. When I pick another pace to where I was, is is taking risks. Yeah. I think that freaked Lewis out a lot. Yeah, well... The end of the race, you know, normally there's the cheering and the celebrating and you guys did great and thanks and no, instead Lewis radioed back with this. Okay, Lewis, thanks for that. I'll explain everything when I see you. Yeah, 
I have to say, Bono, that those last few laps were not cool, man. I, yeah, so just talk about zero. Yeah, okay, Luis, copy that. So I'll speak to you in a bit. And then without really any preamble, yeah. the BBC, um, Tom Clarkson over at the BBC caught up with Toto Wolff to, to follow up on this very odd turn of events. Toto, many congratulations. Another emphatic Lewis Hamilton victory there, but uh, we had our hearts in our mouths for a moment. What, what was the issue? Well, we got an information towards the end of the race that um, on some cars the FIA um, uh, discussed tyre pressures, whether they were on a certain level or not, but we have no more information. Do you think, so if you were below the minimum starting pressures that they recommended, do you think that gave him an unfair advantage? Is that the issue? Well, certainly we're, we weren't below the minimum pressures because we measured them with Pirelli. Uh, we put the gauge on and, um, and this is how the pro process works. We are the ones who, who take it always very safe. So I don't, I, at the moment I have no detail what was really going on. Toto, let me break it to you. The rear left was 0.3 of a PSI below the minimum starting pressure. Says who? How did he manage and when he did he do that? Because you think your tyre pressure man had the right tyre pressure? Uh, absolutely. I mean, we are the first ones to be sure that everything is, uh, is, uh, is us by the rules. So do you have any idea what the penalty might be? No, no idea. It's the first time that happens. Because okay, in the GP2 race, there were some cases of this. There were time penalties added. Is that why you were asking Lewis to extend his lead, just in case? Could be one of the reasons. Okay, first... We have to give Tom Clarkson absolute props for the best chain of questions <laughs> ever. You know, the, did you know this? And Toto would answer in his evasive answer. And no, let me break this to you. And this is what yeah. the reality is. And backed him back into a corner. I mean, that was F1 journalism at its best right there. And it was the same issue on both cars in the same tire. Mm-hmm. But I think Nikos was down a little bit more. It was, it was down a lot more. It was down almost a pound. Um, now, <laughs> when we listened to that comment from Toto Wolf, one of the things that I kept hearing that he didn't say was— oh, I thought it was him instead of saying Gage said Goge. Well, there was the Goge. <laughs> but no, it was the—it it comes across in, to my ears that we are German we follow the rules. Yeah. We we do things by the book. We do it right. And he kept kind of going, we are the first ones to do. We're the first one. Like all the other teams are like using different kinds of tire gauges. They're out there with the old mechanical tire gauges on the tires. Um, I mean, it was that kind of snob thing. You know, we are Germans. We, we know how to do this. But the question, and I didn't understand it until I actually read a lot more about when you take the tire pressure because yes. we're talking about a sport where it's just it's not millimeters it's nanometers that ma matter and psi change from temperature ranges well, within narrow margins but before we get into that we, we need to to set the ground for what's going on with the tires and why okay so let's talk tire okay. gate as you recall, we had the, the, the comments from Sebastian Vettel post-race over the tires and how Spa. it was or, – or, thank you, from Spa over the tires and how unacceptable it was that he had the blowout and he did not go off the track and Ferrari – or Pirelli's full of crap and blah, blah, woof, woof, all of that stuff should not happen full stop. Yes. Pirelli came out pr prior to the race with their announcement and recommendation or, – or their – findings and recommendations for what happened at spa and they came out and said um that um pirelli found 63 cuts in the tread of the formula one tires used over the course of the spa weekend following numerous incidents that took place during the support races before the grand prix in the previous 15 events now, that's 10 races and five test sessions, an average of only 1.2 cuts per event were noted. Wow. So in a nutshell, Pirelli is saying there was all this de debris on the track. The tires got sliced up from the, the debris. And because Ferrari had pushed these tires as far as they had and, has, and had worn them down as far as they had, it was more prone to a catastrophic failure due to one of these cuts right because there was less material on the tires 
So that that's what basically Pirelli turned around and said. In the lead up to the race, uh, Lee McKenzie asked Sebastian Vettel, you know, whether or not he was satisfied with the answers and and whether or not he was com- confident in the tires at this point. Mm-hmm. And Sebastian Vettel's response was that, well, Pirelli did a very professional investigation, and yeah, I'm satisfied. Essentially, to which my my response is, well, yeah, they did a professional investigation. This is their livelihood. They are sick and tired of you slagging them over tires that are unsafe, that aren't doing what they're supposed to, that aren't working the way they were designed when they have delivered to Formula One exactly what they were told to deliver. And to have somebody in Formula One, a driver in Formula One, come out repeatedly and say the tires are unsafe when that is what they do is make tires, they're going to do everything that they can to disprove that. Right. And yeah, they're going to do a, a professional investigation and they're going to come back with everything they possible, possibly can to say, no, he's wrong. Yeah. But there was more to it than that because as part of this uh, release of these findings, the uh, FIA, FOM, and Pirelli pulled in Vettel and uh, Lewis Hamilton and Alonzo and I believe somebody else as well as some team bosses. And Bernie was there as well. And Bernie basically said, stop slagging Pirelli. You got a problem with the tires. You got a problem with how they're handling. You go take it to your team bosses and you let your teams handle this. You do not go to the press and badmouth Pirelli. We've had enough of it. Well, and they should because much like even Jensen has pointed out, they need the, all the teams. While they don't have to be you know cheerleaders and mm-hmm. all that, they need to stop being so down because people are following their lead. Yeah, down on F one, down on Pirelli. That's not the way you promote your sport. And you're the prime ambassador to your sport. Let me tell you, your chief engineer is not on the front lines of the face of the F1. But Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel, you guys are the face of F1. So in response to what had happened, Pirelli came out with new mandatory guidelines, which the FIA adopted, for minimum tire pressure for these tires and minimum camber settings as a way to reduce the potential for damage in these catastrophic blowouts in the event of debris on the track. So now you go into your... So what I have learned as I have done my small amount of internet research on tires, because let me tell you, the minute you start talking about tire pressures, my little eyeballs glaze over and they start to roll to the back of my head. Apparently, in a sport where nanometers matter, single degrees are wide grand canyons of differences Mm -hmm. and microseconds are measured i mean literally they figure out what one little degree different on a fin on the front wing could make a one thousandth of a second difference on the track and that matters what they have found out is that what they didn't do when they said you have a minimum tire pressure is define when they measure it because if it gets measured before it's put on the car, but in the blankets, it's one pressure. Yep. Once it's pulled out of the blankets and put on the car, it's a different pressure. Once they go after the formation lap, it's a yet a different pressure because it's warming back up. And the first lap of the race. So theoretically, the pressure on that tire for the race period, which is what the rule says that it has to be, mm-hmm. would have to be measured... At some point during said race. But here's the thing. That pressure will dramatically change from start through the end of the first lap. Well, it's it's more than just that. And, and you know, first you, you got to remember that basic scientific principle as pressure, air pressure is very dependent on temperature when in, in tires. Mm-hmm. So as the, the temperature changes, the pressure changes. But it's more than just the matter of... As the car moves around lap, the temperature of the tire changes, which can, which impacts the, the air pressure. But every car on that grid, or at least every, every car by every manufacturer, generates heat in those tires and maintains the heat in those tires completely differently, which is why you have some cars that chew up their tires or chew up their front tires or just chew up their rear tires, but others don't. Correct. So it varies based on every single car. Mm-hmm. 
And if by that token, then you have to understand that every car is unique to each race and thus every wear situation is going to be unique to each race. Mm -hmm. Thus exponentially making this, it's every tire at every point at every time. So you're going to have another clip here of the two, about two hours after the race. Well, um, before we even get to that, because there was concern about, you know, he asked Toto what the what the possible penalties would be. Mm-hmm. And he said he didn't know, you know, this has never happened before. But the reality was Toto had a very good idea what what the, the penalties could possibly be. We got to remember there's two sets of rules that govern the races. There's the sporting regulations and then there's the technical regulations. Right. And the sporting regulations, a violation there, that's what gives you the grid penalties, that's what gives you the 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 time penalties, the drive-throughs and all of that stuff. The technical regulations, if you are found in violation of the technical regulations, there is one and only um, penalty for that. Do not pass go pass go car is excluded and that's what happened to uh, ricardo in melbourne last mm-hmm. year was that he was fa- his car was found to be out of technical regulations and he was stripped of the win exactly now yes and that is very much what toto was worried about because it is a a tire pressure is a technical regulation and that would have been the penalty or the type of penalty I think, and this is my theory that will never be proven, that one of the reasons that they were pushing, told um, Lewis to push, was that the way the rule got written was to make sure that they didn't have an advantage. And so my thought was that if they could show, hey, look, we were 25 seconds above the next person, that the the .3 PSI down couldn't have given us 25 and, and, and they couldn't have gotten an advantage. Everyone turned around and said, there is no advantage to be gained by this. Right. None whatsoever. But where the question becomes is that the technical regulation doesn't say that they have to maintain the tires at this pressure. All the technical regulation says is that the teams have to follow the manufacturer's guidelines for safe operation. Right. So that was the concern. So... so- there, there was a lot of risk. I mean, they could have, by increasing the, the distance, they could have accepted a time penalty and he still could have won. They were really concerned about him being disqualified. Apparently, everybody was sitting on pins and needles for about two hours after yep. the race. Um, Lewis and the team bosses and a bunch of other people got called into the steward's office during the process. However... During the majority of the waiting period of time, Lewis sat with his engineers, cool as a cucumber. I mean, multiple reports Mm -hmm. that he was just hanging out and chatting and as absolutely cool as he could be. So he wasn't terribly worried, but there was a lot more celebration post the two-hour mark. So we have some final words from Toto, this time with Lee McKenzie after the decision had come down. Well, Toto, at last you can celebrate this victory. Were there nervous moments beforehand because the stewards have now said that no further action will be taken? Yes, there will be more celebrations than an hour ago. Uh, You know, when you have a car uh, with Lewis winning in such a dominant way and then the other car blows up two laps to the end and you get informed a couple of laps to the end that uh, there might be a penalty pending. Of course, you're not relaxed, so I'm, I'm relieved now. After the race, you were very bullish, the fact that you hadn't made any mistakes out there. Um, But you must have had just a bit of concern. Um, How close was that? Did the stewards explain anything? How minimal was it? You know, the first thing we did was we looked at the pressures when we when we when we checked them uh, on the tyres, and uh, Pirelli was with us, uh, looking at those pressures, and uh, they were well uh, within the limits. And then we put them on the car, and then when the when the message came that um, one of the tyres was, was below the pressure, we didn't understand what was actually happening. And now it's about defining the procedure going forward. When do you measure? How do you measure? Are the tyres still in the blankets or outside of the blankets? Uh, so uh, the detail is important. And going forward, is it something that you will take a look at? Because Lewis was dominating that race, and as he said in Team Radio, he felt that he was having to take unnecessary risks, just trying to pull out that gap. So would you, would you change something going forward? 
No, I think in the heat of the moment you're taking decisions and sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong. In that particular case, we've, we've won the race and uh, we couldn't really tell him what was going on because we didn't know either. Uh, so it was a weird situation for him um, uh, and uh, all good at the end. So there it is. Now, all of this discussion in the last few weeks regarding the tires and, and the, the condition of the tires in addition to telling the drivers stop slagging Pirelli and the Perez, we've we're also getting word that now, as part of the potential for a redesign and a revamp of the rules in 2017, the tires are also going to get discussed, and possibly it could mean the end of the philosophy of the high degradation degradation tires mm. and the tires that are a bit more long lasting. Now, my concern there is that. You recall last year in Russia, Pirelli went conservative on the tires. These were tires that they could have run the entire race on, and everybody came out and said, wow, that was really kind of boring. Yeah. So, yeah. So, moving on. Should we move to engines? Engines. Engines are going to become a new level of silly season this year. So, the first rumor that has come out, is that with Renault having supplied engine number seven to Red Bull, the possibility that they could be running out of engines and parts. Oh, fantastic. That, that's the rumor. Now, now Renault has come out and said that, no, we're doing fine. We, we've got enough spares on hand. We can build additional engines if we need to. There's two complete engines ready to go, and we can build out more. The problem is, is that, while, yes, they have the current spec engine, they still really haven't used their development tokens. Why you wouldn't use your tokens, oh, I don't know, in a ramp-up to Spa and Monza, the two fastest races of the season, I can't quite figure out. But that may also be why Red Bull has come out um, in Build Magazine, or, yeah, it's a, I think Build is a magazine. Yes. Um Red Bull has come out and, and confirmed they do not intend to be running Renault engines next year. Right. I saw a headline, Guardian or the Telegraph one, I can't remember which at this point, that said Red Bull and Renault to divorce this year. And um, it looks like it will be a Ferrari-Red Bull marriage. Yeah, you know, we had been talking that, you know, possibly Mercedes could do this, and there were some good reasons for Mercedes to take them on. Mercedes has apparently since ruled them out, with the talk being that the main reason why Mercedes decided not to supply Red Bull is because of the notoriously bad relationship that um, Red Bull tends to have with its engine suppliers, and they did not want to have to put up with it. Well, that's one thing, but of course, Red Bull's take on it is that Mercedes didn't want them to supply an engine to somebody that could actually be their competitor. But, you know, I do believe I remember a race where Massa and Botas were completely leading that race for a long time. Yeah. So, yeah. So, this is... The concern, though, regarding the engines, because we don't know for sure exactly where Red Bull is going to go for engines right now. The, the concern is, with Red Bull making this move, their requirement has always been that if they're working with a supplier, they get the number one engines, they get the best engines. If they go somewhere else, they don't necessarily get that top spec engine. So Tom Clarkson caught up with Christian Horner um, before Monza to discuss with him about the engines. If it were a possibility, would you be happy to accept second string engines? Well, I think that, you know, compared to where we currently are, um, you know, we, we'd want to be in a much stronger position than that, that we are today. And of course, if you are a customer, you are, you are that. But uh, what you have to weigh up is, is being a customer better than uh, the customer relationship that we currently have. And your conclusion would be? I'll let you um, work that one out for yourself. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that Christian Horner's feeling is any engine is better than the one we've got. Um, you know, they might consider taking a used Yugo at this point. I don't know. <laughs> so speaking of Renault and Lotus, 
because we have They're had dating, the rumors apparently. that something is getting closer. Lotus ended up getting pulled into court again last week. Mm-hmm. Um, the HRMC pulled them in regarding uh, income tax and national insurance. Uh, I guess Lotus has fallen behind on taxes again. Yeah. Um, the court case, however, was adjourned until next Friday, September 18th. The adjournment request was made in good faith by HMRC on the back of the judge, Mr. Justice Burse, receiving a confidential letter from a barrister acting on behalf of Reno. So conceivably that means that a deal is forthcoming. That would be my thought, was that that letter states that Reno is looking to buy majority share and will cover all back taxes. That, that's the best that we can think of. Um, it also, we, we've gotten confirmation that the issue with uh, now former reserve driver Charles Peak um, has been fully resolved and will not resurface. Okay. So we do know that. Um, the other thing that we're hearing is that I guess Renault is expecting to have some sort of a, a uh, fallback plan should the deal with Lotus fall apart. Oh, okay. So what's their fallback plan? I, I don't completely know. I assume it has to do with Force India, would be my guess. Now, the rumors that are flying around is that the plan would be that Lotus would continue to get the Mercedes engines for another year. And okay. the team would continue to function as Lotus, potentially for another year, with the traditional Renault blue and yellow paint job coming in 2017, and Renault engines. So they're thinking they're basically thinking of going with whatever the new spec might come in 2017. Now, if they go with the traditional blue and yellow of Renault. Do you think there's going to be any conflict with the Sauber blue and yellow? Not any more than there was a potential conflict between the original McLaren black and silver and Force India black and silver. Which, of course, is not the same colors anymore. I know. (laughs) You know, it it depends on on what they do and how they set it up with the sponsors and, and how those color schemes are run. Truly. True. True. Um, I have one more piece of team news, unless you had anything else bigger, because this is all the way at the back of the grid. Well, we've got more engine discussions. More engine discussion? Yeah, word has come out that, of all things, Manor Marusha, and this ties into some other rumors, well, some other announcements that the team has made, but word has come out that Manor Marusha is in negotiations with Mercedes for engines. Coincidentally, Manor Marusha has announced that they will not be debuting their new spec car this year, but instead will be doing it with the start of the 2016 season. Very interesting. Possibly, you know, related to a redesign to accommodate a Mercedes engine. Possibly. Now, Manor has also hired the investment firm, um, the investment bank Rothschild, to field bids from possible new investors. Hmm. Now, what is interesting about this is they are getting quite a few unsolicited bids um, for minority stakes in the team, despite their financial struggles and placement on the grid. You know, that's really good to hear. It, it definitely looked like, and you had to be watching to catch it, but it definitely looks like, there's not a whole lot of money going into development and support for the current car. Um, you had to catch it. They didn't get a lot of airtime. But compared to the rear wings on every other team's car, the Marusha wing was huge. You know, most teams, they run that almost flat rear wing in Monza to reduce the downforce uh, or, or to reduce the drag mm-hmm. um, to get the higher speeds. It did not appear that Manor Marusha was running a small wing of any sort. Well, Manor's accounts as of the end of the year in 2014 revealed that the team is now facing a cash shortfall and is wholly reliant on funding from Fitzpatrick. Mm. So 
that's that's they they need some investors. That's the reality. Well, yeah, they definitely do. They have the smallest budget of all of F one, um, and he Fitzpatrick is reportedly investing thirty million pounds with another thirty five point four million pounds coming in installments from the prize money for finishing ninth last year. So what this whole thing means with the um, hiring of Rothschild is that they're looking to grow and get further on the grid. What is of interest is that apparently Manor Marusha, back when, before the the shutdown and mm-hmm. conversion, um, was almost finalizing a deal to hire the Rothschild Bank to field investors. Mm. So I'm kind of hoping that that's not a, a death sign. Yeah, we'll see. You know, and in relation to this engine talk and this possibility of older engines, the strategy group is going to be taking a look at the engine rules. Mm-hmm. It sounds like, and, and, and I'm not really keen on this idea, but it sounds like in an effort to help the smaller teams conserve costs or, or to reduce costs, they're going to allow the smaller teams to run previous year spec engines as their race engines. Wow. I think it's a terrible idea. I think it's an absolutely horrible idea. I, I, I get the thought process behind it, but so, okay, you have your team of halves at the front and then your teams of never will gets at the back. Yeah. You're I mean, that's create... all that you've done is you've now guaranteed that they will never get to a point where they can get points. Right. You're going to keep that divide growing. All right. Moving away from engines and teams to drivers. Yeah, we have a little bit of Silly Season news. And for our little bit of Silly Season news, we have our roving correspondent. Yes. So we have learned that Nico Hulkenberg has a two-year contract for Force India. So he will be staying with Force India. Do you have any other news of any other drivers that have been announced? Nope. All right, so we've got one driver for next year. Yeah, which... My understanding is that he was part of the 10-person list for Haas. So Haas is <laughs> I list was is on now- the list for Haas. What are you talking about? Well, no, they have come out and they have said that there were no American drivers on the list. Yes, I understand that. So um, they have said that it is very likely that one of those seats will be going to a Ferrari reserve driver. Well, that pretty much points to Esteban Gutierrez. I think that's not surprising at all. They're taking every Ferrari park they can possibly buy. That's the way they're getting on the grid. It's sounding like the leading candidate for the remaining seat uh, is pointing towards, with all the other seats being nailed down, John Eric Verne. Really? With the thought, with Haas's thought being they want somebody who's got experience in Formula One. They don't want to bring, and this is why they've ruled out an American drivers, they do not want to bring in a driver who has no Formula One experience into a brand new Formula One team. They think that's a recipe for disaster. And I think they're right. I think they're right. So I think picking up Gutierrez and Vern is not a bad combination. So that, you know, that brings us to all the stories I had. I think you had a couple other small small bits you were talking about i've filtered them in in logical locations throughout the entire show so wow yes seriously this was a strat mode three we we, hammer time we were definitely hammer time it is it is a very very good thing that don't ask questions just execute (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna use that a lot aren't you absolutely if you put that on your phone and you start playing that when we're like out and about, I'm going to hurt you. <laughs> All righty. Well, you know, I guess we will start to, to back out of the podcast. Uh, remember, you can find us over on Facebook at uh, The Bloke and the Bird Show. Uh, we are on Stitcher. We're over in iTunes. Why are you giving me that look? I was just double checking that it was Stitcher and not Spotify. I or... got it right. I know, I but know. I get confused. 
you you got it wrong so many times. So I guess there's really nothing else to say other than this. Okay. My son has a Ferrari on his hand. I know, he does it. And how, it's not even me, it's Alonso. So How did Daddy do today? Good. <laughs> Excellent. And on that, we'll call this show. <laughs>